1: What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deep and dynasty-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined once again by my good friend and co-host Christopher Weber schwebze How's it going? Hi, friends. It's going good. We are two weeks
2: into spring training, or like games. We got games going on now. We can actually watch baseball. It's amazing. Or, well, arguably, we can watch baseball, but sometimes baseball doesn't want to let us watch
1: it. Baseball's shy, a little bit. It's kind of like, cutesy. Don't look at me. Uh, no, we just don't actually get enough televised games. That's the unfortunate real- reality of the situation. Um, but yeah, spring training in full force. We actually have some stats to look at, a little bit of like actual like eye tests for certain players. Uh, during spring training so far, Schwebs, is there anyone, whether it's seasoned vet or young player, that you got to see for the first time that you're super excited about or have been impressed by? You know what I've absolutely loved? It's at the second Andres Jimenez
2: gets traded away from the Mets. He starts Mm. absolutely lighting the field on
1: fire in Cleveland in Ah, in a good way. The curse of any Mets fan, having players be good after they leave. Immediately. But now he's, he's hit a, he hit
2: one out of the park home run, one in the park home run, a triple. Like he's, he's been amazing and he's been tearing it up, man. Supposedly he's hitting number two for Cleveland, which would be
1: awesome for his value super dope makes me very sad that i traded him away in one of my leagues but i mean i got good value back i can't complain but yeah andre samenez uh someone that you and i are both really high on i feel like compared to everyone else and is shaping up to be a pretty good take i think we kind of nailed it that's just me though
2: i don't know so he's been going in like like what like the 250 to 300 range and
1: that's purely on the strength of him being fast and like he gets steals I feel like that plus like multi-position eligibility because he's second, third base and shortstop eligible in most leagues, I believe. Mm. So that as well, but yeah, everything that you said too.
2: Yeah. Like if he adds like literally anything beyond batting average and some meager
1: counting stats, that's like such a bonus for getting him in that range. I mean, hitting at the top of the lineup anymore is going to be at least moderately valuable, but I think he actually does have the tools to be really successful at the top of that lineup. And I mean, you got Joe Ram hitting right behind him. So
2: that's a right. pretty good place to be. It's like the the bottom of the lineup in Cleveland is not the best, but no. the, the, the the like the top like five or six hitters in that lineup are very legit.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, even like going down to like I think six right now currently is slated to be like Josh Naylor, who had like an insane short little playoff stint and like a good end of the year last year after he ended up in Cleveland from wasn't it? Wasn't that part of the uh, Clevenger trade San Diego? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully he can find some success too, but yeah, I mean, Jimenez always a really, really good one Uh, for me. I'm going like way deeper cut and I'm going to be a Homer about this, but someone who I liked a lot that I kind of called my shot on by drafting him in a few leagues as like a, he'll probably make it to the majors and get a chance this year near the end of the year. Maybe like he'll come up in 2022 is Aaron Ashby, pitcher for the Brewers. So I've taken him as like a dollar player at the end of an auto new draft or auto new auction, I should say, and I've tried to nab him here and there for like more uh, dynasty leagues and things like that. He was not part of some of the players that got sent back to the alternate training site and to their minor league teams like yesterday. He's going to get to stick around with a big league club even longer in spring training, which really bodes well for him coming up even earlier in the season. So there's something that Craig Council likes about him, which makes me super duper excited. He's the type of guy, he actually said this in a interview with Sophia Minard, who is like the sideline reporter uh, for the Brewers, that he kind of models some of what he likes to do on the mound after someone like Marcus Stroman, who really likes to alter timing with his delivery to help keep the hitter thrown off. And he's pitched pretty well so far in his couple of spring training appearances. So I don't know, really excited about him personally. Didn't he get the pitching ninja bump? i I think
2: uh, I think he did. Yes. Put something up about like his just like it just looked like a really awkward at bat for the hitter. Oh, for sure with Ashby coming in with all the 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 different
1: uh, timings and whatnot. he will do a high leg kick, a low leg kick, just a nice like quick side like s- slide step really varies it. And he said that was back from when he was in college. His coach would always talk to the hitters on the team saying timing is super duper important. So he, he was just like, he took from that. Okay. Then I'm just going to like mess up my timing to mess up their timing too. And he's been doing that ever since then. He actually pitches. Well, he pitched as of 2019 for single a Wisconsin timber out So I actually got, was able, well, I, I would have had the opportunity to see games had I lived close enough to go see games up in Appleton at that point. But uh, someone that I hope I could to see at uh, Miller park this year. Or sorry, American Family Field. Excuse me. (laughs) Whatever. I thought I knew where you were going with that. I thought this was going to be a a fastball Freddy hype minute. Don't get me started on that either. I'm super jacked about Freddy Peralta because now council's saying that they're going to stretch him out and they might be giving him starts again this year. Like, sign me up. Oh, wow. If the breaking pitch is working, then like, right, yeah. It's going to be so good. I'm excited. Like. Between Woodruff and Burns, fantastic top two at the top of that rotation. I could see Ashby. He doesn't have overpowering stuff by any means, but his ability to like vary his deliveries. I could see him being like an SP three or four by the end of the year. If he gets his opportunities and can capitalize on them, that plus just like the insane depth that the Brewers bullpen has between now, if you do count Freddie Peralta, who's kind of the fireman role, plus brent Suter, who's also someone who can come out and eat innings uh, and be like an opener type person then you've got justin topa and then devin williams and josh Hader at the back end as well and just like everything in between eric yardley whatever just so many good arms in that bullpen that i'm super duper excited about they might be one of the best bullpens in the league
2: yeah i keep hearing that and like when i first heard it, i was like what
1: and then like when you, when i dug in it was like oh yeah i guess i kind of get it it's there it really is there yeah. the data is there too it's great um Thank goodness I have something to be excited about as a Brewers fan. Hooray. Their betting odds to like win the NL
2: are atrocious. Not that anyone besides like four teams are going to win the NL, but like their betting odds are so bad even compared to the other NL Central teams. And it's kind of surprising because I don't feel like they're significantly worse than like the Cubs or
1: Cardinals. Well, like the Picota Pico- projections had them winning it, the NL Central, Um, and I, I don't. I fully do not expect them to win like the NL pennant or anything like that. Obviously, there's many teams that deserve it more, just based on pure skill at this point. Um, but I really think that if the pitching continues to perform like it's supposed to, that the offense will bounce back. Especially someone like Christian Yelich, who hit like an abysmal two twenty or something like that last year. It's not going to happen again.
2: Yeah, I mean, the pitching and the defense appear to be there. So adding an MVP to that mix is, uh, yeah, they they could be pretty formidable.
1: Kind of great. Yeah. So yeah, that's who I was most excited about. though, was Aaron Ashby. I know I went kind of deep cut there, but I got to be a homer too. I don't know. No one holds that against you. Schwebs, something monumental happened today. Do you know what A that long is?
2: time in the making. A long time a in very, the making. A very, very long time in the making. You've been
1: waiting with bated breath. Actually, no, if you held your breath waiting for this to finish, you would have died long ago. Your TGFBI draft is over, Schwebs. Our long national nightmare. <laughs> I'm so happy. We beat, we beat the season by like 18 days, which is awesome. Which is crazy, because uh, I know that Justin Paradis, one of the graphic designers over at Pitcherless, said that last year there was a draft that went like a full like three or four weeks and led right up to the season starting almost, which is nightmarish. But uh, luckily it didn't uh, last that long for you, Schwebs. What was... Let's just like go through a little bit near the end of the draft and talk about, because we are a deep league podcast, Post round 25, so rounds 25 through 30, we'll say. What was your favorite pick that you made?
2: Yeah, let's, let's hit on this really quickly and get into the meat of things. But uh, So the, the news that Hunter Harvey, one of my relief pitcher picks from a couple episodes ago, was hurt with an oblique, uh, unspecified oblique. Uh, the, as soon as that news came out, I was about two picks away from my 30th round pick and final pick. So I immediately snatched up Tanner Scott, and that became one of my favorite picks of the draft because now I feel like I got basically a shoe-in closer for my 30th round pick, which is awesome.
1: Absolutely sick. Yeah. I mean, there's no one else that's going to take that job in Baltimore. So that's an excellent pickup that late in the draft. And then we, well, at least from what I understand, oblique injuries tend to be pretty nagging and are very easily re-injured. So. Watch out for Hunter Harvey to continue aggravating that injury unless they give him enough time to rest. Hopefully they don't rush him back, but good pickup up Schwebs. Uh, For me, it was probably also my round 30 pick, my last pick in the draft, Jaron Duran. He's not going to start the year with the big club. He's going to be at the alternate site to begin the year, but he's been blowing people out of the water with his newfound power, both between the Dominican Winter League and spring training here, hitting two more home runs in spring training before being sent back to the alternate site. Uh, super excited to see at what point they decide to bring him up and give him an opportunity. I would love to see him come up and take advantage of that pesky pole in right field, considering he is a nice lefty hitter in Fenway. Uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be a super good value that late. And in round 30 of all rounds, why not just take a flyer, right?
2: Yeah, and I, I, I hear he's very, very hungry to, uh, to hit the majors. Uh, Like, like a wolf, arguably
1: hungry. Oh no, no Schwebs. Don't do this to me. Not this early in the episode, please. I can't handle it.
2: I'm just going to, my, my version of Rick rolling you is going to be just dropping lines from hungry, like the wolf peppered in throughout this thing.
1: Oh no. Well, we're in for a long ride. Anyways, let's get to the meat of this episode, which of course is MILFs. We're talking about MILFs, of course, meaning middle infielders we like in fantasy. Get your minds out of the gutter, right? I knew I knew what you meant the whole time. I knew it. Uh, we're going to start with second baseman. We're each going to go over one person past pick 350, right? 350-ish. It's pretty fluid right now. There's lots of drafts going on. ADPs are fluctuating, but right around like 350-ish or later. Uh, starting with Schwebs, for second baseman, who do you like? All right, the guy that I'm I've chosen here is was a favorite
2: heading into 2020 and then he immediately broke his wrist and people seem to have forgotten about him because the few at-bats that he did have in 2020 were kind of underwhelming, which happens when that when people break their wrist, they tend to not hit very well when they come back. But uh, his current ADP is, ranges pretty wildly depending on what platform you're on. It can be from 328 on NFBC to 400 plus on CBS. And um, generally, if, if, if I see an NFBC ADP lower than other f- f- uh, platforms, I'm, I'm kind of looking at that guy a little bit harder because NFBC kind of tends to be where the sharps are. But I was ecstatic to get this player at 344 in my TGFBI. And uh, if I uh, did I say his name yet? Starlin Castro. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah, big on I Starlin. Ab-
1: I was about to cut <laughs> in be like, "You're really like building up the suspense here." Like I'm 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 waiting on the edge of my seat, even though I can see it directly in our show notes. But
2: yeah, no, I remember that thing about being professionals. Yeah, that. Good at this. So great. So Starlin Castro is uh that who that whole spiel is about. I was ecstatic to get him around 3:44 in my TGFBI draft. Um, He's got an everyday role. He's got a long history of being an Ironman, broken wrist notwithstanding. He's played 150 plus games seven times. I'm not concerned about anyone in the organization taking his at-bats this year. The only threats are Josh Harrison, who is not a threat, and Luis Garcia, who basically just did what Starling Castro should do, which is hit for average and get you some counting numbers, although Garcia might be a little faster with a little less power so he was a popular sleeper pick in 2020 drafts and the reason for that is because 2019 the year of the super bounce ball tore, like he had a pretty underwhelming first half and then in the second half of the year basically made a swing change and started elevating the ball and had the best few months of his life uh, where like his k percentage dropped to close to a career low he he really never struck out early in his career but uh, close to a career low in strikeouts. Would have been his best rate since 2012. He was putting the ball in the air more. He had a 558 slug in the second half of 2019, which would have been a career best by a mile. And he had a 36% fly ball rate, which also would have been a career high. He pulled the ball more than ever before. And just overall, he became a much more productive player than he had ever been in his career up until that point. Now, I'm generally hesitant Whenever there's a career year that happened in 2019, especially when it's kind of based around home runs, but always a, but like it's backed up. It's, it's backed up by a conscious swing change. I've actually got a quote here from him. He says, I just changed a little bit. I hit too many balls into the ground. So I opened up my front foot. I just said to myself, okay, I'm going to try to hit the ball in the air. No matter what happens, no matter what the reason's going to be. It's been tough already in the first half. And he's... I I actually love this. He said literally, let's try to do launch angle. I mean... (laughs) Yes, let's. I can't argue with it. Let us do the launch angle, please. So... Uh, no, normally, like we we hear a lot of baseball players say, like, I don't think about launch angle ever. So it's kind of fun. Uh, I love hearing someone embrace it and be like, oh, this is what's going to make me more productive. Let me do that thing, and actually, like, focus on it. So the Bat X is p- the most uh the most bullish of the projection systems for Starlin Castro. It's got him pegged for twenty home runs, sixty two runs, seventy two RBIs two stolen bases, and a 277 batting average. Along with a 319 OBP, you do not want this player in OBP leagues. This is purely a, a batting average league suggestion. And the thing about those projections is the Bat-X only has him pegged for like 520-some-odd plate appearances. Like just about every year in his career, he's getting 600-plus because he plays every game, and generally he hits near the top of the order. That may or may not happen with the Nationals. Something to keep an eye on. But if he is hitting in the two hole, which is kind of where I feel like he should be hitting for that team, then I feel good about expecting like 75 runs, 85 RBIs instead of what the Bad X has projected. I kind of have a feeling that that projection is assuming like he's hitting in the sixth or seventh hole. So what do you do with this information? Just draft him higher there's a ton of guys going ahead of him who just aren't promised this kind of playing time. He should be going inside the top 300. I think he should be going ahead of like Tommy Lestella, who's a platoon guy. Uh, Wilmer Flores, another platoon guy. Profar, we don't know about the playing time. Scott Kingery, who knows what we're going to get from him. Uh, Joey Wendell. Like, I love Joey Wendell, but he's just not as good of a hitter as Starlin Castro. Like it's purely the speed that's buoy- buoying him. So, yeah, I mean, of course, it also depends on what your team needs. But I'm if I just want someone who's going to be in the lineup every day and just pounding out hits every day and accruing those counting stats, I love getting Starlin Castro, and I want to target him ahead of a lot of these other guys who are might be sexier names, but
1: just I,
2: I don't think they're going to get the same kind of production.
1: Yeah, I really love this pick, honestly, and like all those names that you just read a lot there, Listella, Wilmer uh, Flores uh and pro far, Scott Kingery, Wendell, again, all of them adps that are they're higher up on the list, lower in number, if that makes sense, yeah, yeah, yep, that yeah, for reference, um agree with you hundred percent, like he's just gonna get the playing time, and he's going to get the counting stats more than all of the rest of those names that you just threw out there. uh Wendell is probably the only one that I would really even hold like that would hold a candle to what I think Starling Castro can do just simply because I feel like if Wendell wasn't in Tampa Bay where he was getting shifted around and like, just basically doing the Tampa Bay Rays thing where they're going to play everyone all over the place. If he got regular at bats, they'd be pretty comparable, but Castro still super young too. That's the thing. He's not that old.
2: Yeah. He's been around since like 2011, but he's like, well, he's like, he's like 30 or 31. He's has he debuted really young. So he seems older than he is kind of like a, uh someone we're going to talk about a little later, like Elvis Andres is another one. Like they've just these 30, 31 year old middle infielders have just been around for ages and we kind of take them for granted, like how young they still are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good pick Schwab's really good pick. I like that one a lot. Thanks. Uh, moving on to mine. Uh, we're going to talk about someone who just came up and debuted, I believe it was, actually might have been the end of 2018. I can't remember if he got time in, or sorry, at the end of 2019. I can't remember if he got a few games then and then also started the entire year last year, but Nico Horner, second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. So Horner, when he came up, uh, struggled a little bit last year in his full first full season, but you can't really blame him for that considering he's only had around 375 at-bats in the minors total, just period, before even getting called up last year that is a pretty textbook definition of trial by fire and obviously he kind of failed his trial so the big question is why am i in on him this year what's so different well kind of a theme that we're building here now since we talked about it with starlin castro a swing change so horner made a change it was more so actually not so much in his swing as much as it was his stance uh he opened his stance a little bit kind of the same thing i believe that castro did i didn't know that we were going to have a theme with this this is kind of weird There's a lot of parallels here. Uh, But yeah, he made a swing change, opening up his stance while utilizing the Cubs training facilities in the offseason, trying to hopefully take better advantage of his natural athleticism and unlock some power. And I know we're not supposed to take a whole lot of stock of what happens in spring training because it's spring training. It's not a large enough sample to figure out how someone's going to perform, but what we have seen so far from Horner during spring training has been super encouraging. He's currently nine for 16 with three doubles and a home run. And he's walked once driven in three runs and stolen two bases. Like he's doing a little bit of everything so far in spring training. Most notably though, he hasn't struck out once in all 16 at bats. He's continuously putting the ball in play and making good contact when he does as well. He's been finding gaps in the infield and outfield and, I mean, it seems like just in the small sample that we have that he actually has unlocked some of that power that he was hoping to get to. So there's ton to be encouraged about. Eligibility-wise, he's not just a second baseman. He actually has second, third, and shortstop el- eligibility in both Yahoo and Autonew, and then second base and shortstop in Fantrax, NFBC, CBS, and ESPN. So that multi-position eligibility, also a nice little boost for him. Uh, X currently has his projections at six home runs 56 runs 49 rbis nine stolen bases with a 260 average over 514 plate appearances well i don't think that his power numbers are going to be like massive he's not going to hit 20 or more home runs or something like that if this swing change or sorry this stance change really allows him to reap the benefits i feel like he could sneak into double digit home run territory territory if he makes it a full season uh Along with that, plate discipline metrics will vary from source to source, but there is one thing that they all agree on, and that's that he has a really excellent zone contact rate above 90%. He also has a really, really, really good sprint speed. He's 93rd percentile, according to Savant, and because of that little combination there, if you can put the ball in play a bunch, hit it hard, and then also have that great sprint speed, you're probably going to get on base quite a bit. I think that he's going to slightly outperform the Bad X projections that I listed previously. And hopefully, he has unlocked that power. And I think we could, at like a 90 or 95% result, see him end up as a guy who hits like 10 home runs with 15 stolen bases and won't really hurt you too badly in either an average or OBP setting. Currently, his pick range is somewhere between 264 and 504 on NFBC. I would probably feel comfortable taking him around like the 275 to 300 range currently, but that is mostly just me. And that's having him as the 44th ranked second base eligible player off the board in that format.
2: Just a really quick, who would you rather have Nico Horner, Joey Wendell?
1: Ooh, that's tough. I think strictly. So if we're doing a dynasty league, Nico Horner pretty easily for me. If it's, if it's a, redraft league i think it's borderline but i think i still would take nico horner and that's mostly because i think that at some point this season wander franco is going to come up in tampa and i think that's gonna mean even fewer opportunities for wendell as the season goes on so it's mostly just volume based i think it's pretty close if they had the same amount of at-bats but i think that currently horner's ceiling is a little bit higher
2: I really like Joey Wendell as like the barometer because he goes right at that line yeah. where, where like standard leagues end right around that 300 mark. And also he's just like such a steady producer. And I, I feel like Joey Wendell might be the single name that we've mentioned the most on this podcast. We should, uh, we should like contact Joey Wendell to do a cameo for In the Deep.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's like a decent number of MLB players on Cameo, right? I feel like there's quite a few. I think we
2: could just get literally anybody and have them say, Hi, I'm Joey Wendell, and no one will
1: know. It's Joey Wendell. Honestly, you could fool me. Just get any any like generic white dude to do it. And I will believe that it's Joey Wendell, probably. I literally if you put Joey Wendell in a lineup with like six other just generic white dudes, I would have no clue which one he is. Like, is he southern? Is he from the Midwest? I have no idea. Hi, y'all. I'm Joey Wendell. Hey y'all, I'm Joey Wendell. No, I don't know what he talks like. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, that's Nico Horner after our giant tangent on Joey Wendell. Uh, we have some honorable mentions for second base as well, uh, starting with Ty France. Uh, Ty France is one that I think both of us kind of thought about talking about as our featured player here. And yes. it would be super cool if he was 2019 PCL Ty France who put up just video game numbers in 76 games where he had like 27 home runs and 80 runs in RBIs and like a 400 average. But it's 2021, he's not hitting in the PCL, and it is not the same ball that we saw, the cartoonishly live ball that we saw in 2019. So I think that we're both, in this case, going to steer clear talking about Ty France. Not a bad option, just not the one that we wanted to speak about here today.
2: And can you just quickly mention, like, go over what his numbers were
1: in the PCL that year? Okay, I will find the exact numbers here real quick. Okay, so seventy six games he had, he had twenty. Okay, seventy six games, twenty seven home runs, eighty eighty one runs, eighty nine RBIs. So I undersold that a little bit, and then sorry that I uh, I oversold the average. It was not a four hundred average. It was a three ninety nine average. I do apologize for my transgressions uh-huh. against the statistical community. Uh, I will bow my head in shame for a moment and then continue onwards. Okay, what a
2: scrub three ninety nine. He's no Ted Week, Williams, but so. Yeah, he was basically like Barry Bonds in the minor leagues for a short time. But uh, the, the PCL is like if everybody got to play in Colorado all the time with that super bounce ball. But yeah, so he's been unbelievable in spring training. And like he's just crushing balls off the wall. I think he's got three home runs already. And I, I what I really want to do is, you know how like shock jocks will have like their and their other like random like soundboard noises. I would really like something that does like small sample size and then like a siren, the small sample size siren. I want that just at least for spring training.
1: The four S's. Yes. Oh, we have to make it say swa, 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 swa. (laughs) Because that way it has the S sound in it as well. All right. So going down
2: the list, a guy that has been kind of garnering some buzz lately is Enrique Hernandez. Jordan, you almost picked him as your player to highlight.
1: I did because I like positional utility because he's in most leagues. I think both eligible at second base and in the outfield, but he's going to be, I mean, he'll be playing every day, but he's going to be hitting like eighth or ninth in that order unless he really shows out at any point and they decide to move him up. There's really no reason that he'd be hitting at the top of that order. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just don't see that changing anytime soon. So he's going to get, because he is hitting in the nine spot, that many fewer plate appearances over the course of the year. So I think that's one re- reason to kind of steer clear of him. Uh, I drafted him pretty late in TGFBI because he still has that everyday role, most likely. Um, but unless you're waiting, I would not recommend, like I, I wouldn't put him above Tide France. I wouldn't, Probably wouldn't put him ahead of the next person on our list either. All right. So you
2: want a hot take here? Yes. I think Enrique Hernandez is going to be must play for like 80 to 100 games of the year. Like I think he's going to be absolutely must play at home. Okay. And maybe at like Yankee Stadium also. That's that's my hot take. I, I think I think he's going to kill the ball at Fenway. Okay. And I mean, we, we all know that Yankee Stadium is a Little League ballpark. So I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of treating him almost like a Colorado player. Like, I don't know, like Raymel Tapia, where you're just playing him at home is going to be a winning proposition. Like, like you're a DFS player almost.
1: Okay. I mean, okay. That's one thing too, is like when you're in a league that obviously has daily lineups, taking notes from what DFS players do is a good thing, obviously. Right. Like that's something you should be paying attention to. Like splits are to a certain extent, pretty important or playing home or away. Everything like that. Um, yeah, I could see that though. I do. I mean, I do think that uh, Fenway is a slightly better park for him to play in in comparison to Dodger Stadium. So I think that he'll see hopefully some boon from that. Uh, someone else that has a good park to play in. Uh-huh, nice segue. Ah, Nailed segue. Uh, is our third honorable mention uh, Brendan Rogers? He seemingly has the tools and the opportunity this year to succeed in a really good hitter's park. But all that we've really seen so far from Rodgers has been a super ballooning K rate and uh, just complete inability to take a walk. He's not getting on base that much either. I don't have a whole lot to say about Brennan Rodgers. I just know that it was worth bringing up his name because I know a lot of other people in the fantasy community think that he might be poised for a breakout and that there's some underlying data there to support that. I just don't see it. What do you think, Schwebs? Right. This is one of those things where, like, I don't
2: necessarily see it, but smarter people than me do. And I feel like I would be doing the listeners a disservice if I don't point out that at least, you know, these these very smart people are fans of Brendan Rogers.
1: Yeah. Always do. Always do your due di- diligence. I can't say that. Always do your due diligence. Nail it on the second try. Do do. Do do. Child. Absolute child I work with. My goodness. <laughs> It was pretty funny, though. Uh, do your due diligence and research these people yourselves. You should draw your own conclusions. We're just... Like we did not do. Mm-hmm. Okay. With Brendan
2: Rogers, with anyway. With Brendan Rogers, <laughs>
1: that's for sure. Uh, all right, that's it for second baseman. Moving on to shortstops. Schwebzi, lead it off with your shortstop pick.
2: Yes, Willie Adonis. And this is both similar and different than the Starling Castro pick. Similar in the way that we're going for reliability here. This is not a, like, I, I think Starling Castro has more upside because of his swing change, which is why it's a little bit different. But Willie Adamas is a really strong defensive player. And he's, like, basically the only guy that Tampa just plays blindly without really, like, jerking around his playing time or platooning him or anything. Likely due to that defense, I think Willie Adams had, well, I, I don't think, I know, because I looked... Willie Adamas leads the Tampa Bay Rays in games played over the last two seasons. And the, you know, the Rays are notorious for their platoons yeah, their, and, and just, you know, trying to min max their, their wins runs scored and everything. So it's, you know, we know he's going to play just about every day with the pretty large caveat that that could change halfway through the season because the, Rays have just an army of elite middle infield prospects. So the way I look at Willie Adames is he's someone that you can draft at his ADP or slightly above his ADP of like, it's about what, uh, 350-ish right now. It ranges from 310 to 404, depending on the platform that you're on. And you can just plug him into your middle infield spot and just leave him there and not think about it for at least three months, maybe more. Once Wander Franco comes up, or uh, Vidal Brujan, then we're going to have to have some more conversations about uh, Adonis's place on this team. But until then, like he's just, I don't want to say money because he's not that good, but he's just someone that you can set and forget. He's not someone you're going to draft for your starting shortstop spot, but he's a really nice, reliable player for your middle infield. So the upside also isn't non-existent. I don't want to say it's the same as Starling Castro's because I believe in Starling Castro's bat-to-ball skills more. But Willie Adamas made a really interesting change in 2020 as he very, very clearly and deliberately started swinging for the fences. He started pulling the ball 51.5% of the time, which was an increase of over 15% from his career norms. That's a huge jump. And he also started striking out way more. Now, almost universally... You're going to see my picks have good plate discipline, good contact skills. Adonis is not really that. Um, he's actually like in his basically two half seasons and then one full season, he's been like several different players, but it always winds up in like the same kind of average ish production across the board. So he's it's pretty interesting that he's arrived at basically the same kind of stats in a bunch of different ways already in his Very brief career. But uh, at the end of the day, I think you can pretty safely bank on a 250 batting average, 250 plus, about 20 dingers and then like 130 combined runs and RBIs while chipping in a small handful of steals. He's one of those guys that we hate as fantasy owners where he's really fast but doesn't really steal too many bases. Uh, There's guys going ahead of him that don't have nearly the kind of role or just people I don't trust as much. I would happily target Willie Adonis before like Scott Kingery, Ahmed Rosario, probably Garrett Hampson. Like, get the, the upside is much higher with Hampson. So, if you're swinging for the fences, go ahead, please take Hampson. But if I just want someone whose numbers I can kind of bank on, then
1: it's Adonis. I once again love your pick. It's very good. Adonis is a good pick. Like, like once again, that, thank you. Yeah. I mean, the three people that you listed there saying that are getting taken before Adonis that you would put behind him or equal in Hampson's case, potentially. Um, I think that Hampson's ceiling is much higher, but I think the floor is lower too. Yeah, because the floor is not playing. Exactly. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen there. Because, I mean, they have now CJ Crone going to be at first base, which means that uh, Ryan McMahon could play at either second or third. And then you also have Brendan Rogers who's going to play in the middle infield there. There's a lot of fluidity in that Rockies infield right now. It's going to make things pretty interesting.
2: We have no idea what the Rockies are going to do with all of their players and where they're going to play. But I promise you, we're going to hate it at the end of the and day. And I
1: promise you something else. You know what that is? Neither do they. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. And like um, a Rosario, they're trying to again, give him reps in the outfield much like the Mets did previously to see where he's going to play, to see if they can get him in the lineup somewhere. Potentially. I think this is a really solid pick, especially above all the three other guys that you listed there. Kingery is just Scott Kingery. I don't, I don't know why some people are as high on him as they are, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, good job, Schwebs. This is great. So, really quick aside
2: about Ahmed Rosario. Like we could have picked him for an honorable mention. I got a a very close look at Ahmed Rosario over the years as a, uh, you know, with him being a met. We we did, we did the outfield, thing. I don't think it's going to take. Like they're talking about him being like a utility guy, I just don't think the fantasy value is going to be there for him. No. Doesn't seem like a guy that's going to succeed in a in a limited
1: role very likely not god wasn't it great while it lasted though with him thinking he might be like a 15 15 guy every year
2: dude he he helped lead me to a championship in my dynasty league in 2019 i was a big fan crazy 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 and then he didn't walk for like 115 straight plate appearances to start 2020 that was remember fun when
1: they all walked out of the dugout and clapped when he got finally got his first walk <laughs> I remember that was like a big a mess. There was a huge notification in the pl plus discord once it finally happened, someone instantly posted the video in there and it was just like alarm bells went off. Like it actually happened, y'all. It happened. The long national nightmare is over. Oh. Ahmed Rosario has taken a walk. <laughs> uh, speaking of someone else that doesn't really take a whole lot of walks, talking about my pick. Wow, I'm getting really good at these transitions. I got to say, just pat myself on the back here real quick. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm going to talk about Jose Iglesias' new. Shortstop for the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, Angels replacing one really excellent defensive shortstop in Andrelton Simmons with another in Iglesias, who in the past four years has bounced around to I think four different teams. He's been in a different place each year in the past four years, if I remember correctly. Um, he's always been known for his glove and not his bat, but he had a really really good offensive year in 2020. And what was different? What happened? Why why did he have such a good year? Well. The thing is, he hit the ball harder with greater frequency. His hard hit rate, according to StatCast, was a career high 36.5%, which is more than 12 points higher than his previous career high. To go along with that, his line drive rate went from around like 25 ish percent in the past three years before 2020 to almost 40% in the year 2020. So, like, he had a massive improvement in his line drive rate. Uh, he's not a guy who hits the ball super hard, super often. Obviously, there's people with much higher hard hit rates than he does, but he's utilizing a really tight and really, really solid launch angle to get more of those line drives to make the most of his swing and the contact that he does make. So I think that's why he saw that jump in 2020. Uh, last year, he had a monstrous 400 BABIP. Just like huge, huge, huge. Uh, I don't think that's going to stick. There's going to be some regression there. The same can be said about the batting average, which he finished uh, at 373, which is, again, massive All that said, his expected batting average was 356, so he didn't really outperform his XBA that much. So the performance in 2020 wasn't a total fluke in terms of the results from his batted balls. Much like Nico Horner, Iglesias is also a huge zone contact guy and has managed a 90% zone contact rate or greater each year since 2015, so he's going to put the ball in play a ton. And if he can maintain this uptick in quality of contact metrics... I don't see why it wouldn't be a reason to buy in. Uh, I think it's worth a shot. He's currently in a situation, too, because of his defense, he's going to be starting every day for the Angels, which will allow him to crew more counting stats. And he's kind of an Iron Man, much like Starling Castro was before his broken wrist. He's managed to play 120 games in each full season since 2015, obviously 2020 notwithstanding with the shortened season. Uh, and his durability really shouldn't be in question. Uh, His bad X projections somewhat reflect that. So he's slated to get 558 plate appearances. And in those plate appearances, see eight home runs, 62 runs, 54 RBIs, and eight stolen bases with a 272 average. Seems really, really good for a league in which you're going to be doing like a five by five Roto that one of the offensive categories is average. I will caution folks though, that I don't really think you should take him in an on base percentage league because he is A historically abysmal walk taker. Like last year, he had a two percent walk rate, which is a Med Rosario bad. I would say Schweb's not great. Not not necessarily great. Not great. Um, His ADP also currently sits post four hundred on almost every major fantasy site, according to the aggregate rankings that I found on Fantasy Pros, and his NFBC ADP is five twenty six in the past month. So if he's sitting there in round like post round 25 of a 15 teamer or post round 30 of a 12 team league where average is imperative. You should give him a bump and you should actually try to take him there. I think Uh, along with that as a bonus, while he's not the fastest, he only has like a 53rd percentile sprint speed. He does have a history of stealing a few bags. So he's efficient with that and could provide a little bonus value there as well. He's not a flashy guy on offense. His defense definitely is. That's going to keep him on the field. Again, and as long as he's getting his at-bats, he should be in for a small dose of success this year. And if he does manage to maintain that launch angle tightness and that elevated line drive rate, I think a ceiling for him is legitimately a 300 plus hitter. So I think he's a really, really great choice here. The gut reaction,
2: if you don't do any other digging, it was, a, it was luck. You know, high batting your like a case, it very well might be.
1: It's going to be, I mean, I know I am in the leagues where he is available trying to pick him up. Uh, and where he is taken, I am trying to trade for him and have him be a smaller piece in the deal and hopefully get a steal from someone. So uh, to my league mates, don't listen to this. If you are, I'm sorry that I'm trying to fleece you, but I want Trading, Jose Iglesias. Trade him Jose Iglesias. Watch all of my league mates go pick, pick up Jose Iglesias and immediately offer me just like a lopsided like, oh, do you want Jose Iglesias for Trey Turner? <laughs> short, it's a shortstop for a shortstop. It's the same thing, dude.
2: You know what this projection looks like to me? What's that? Like a Joey Wendell light. How dare you? You know what I want? Uh, another idea just occurred to me. Sorry, I I just, it, wheels are spinning today. What if every time, what, what if we had a Pee Wee Herman-esque word of the day? Every time we mentioned Joey Wendell, just sirens, everything. Woo! Joey Wendell.
1: Ah! <laughs> uh, all right. Honorable mentions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Paul Rubens, what's up? Anyways, (laughs) honorable mentions. Yay. Okay. uh, First one we're going to throw out there. uh, Actually, Schwebz, I'll let you take this. Miguel Rojas. Talk about Miguel Rojas for a sec. Miguel Rojas. I actually spent basically all year
2: kind of compartmentalizing Jose Iglesias and Miguel Rojas into like the same mental tier because they were both doing this incredibly high BABIP, like elevated batting average thing. And no one thought it was going to last in either case. And now we're looking at both of them and we're going, oh, wait, hey, maybe there's something there. Because I'm, I'm actually noticing a trend like overall with the players that I'm gravitating towards this year. It's players that make contact. Now, if you if you just pull up like, it, I, I don't know, like like the whiff leader, the, like the whiff leaderboard on uh, Savant, like the percentile whiff leaders. It's not going to get you necessarily a list of good players, but I like to start there and then see who else, who brings other things to the table as well. Because we're, we're in an era of strikeouts, right? Strikeouts are more prevalent than ever. They're only getting higher by the year. So I kind of really like a player right now who doesn't do that. You know, zig while the other people are zagging. So Miguel Rojas is among the best in the league at making contact and also great plate discipline. So his he's never historically been a great hitter when making contact. He's always been good at making contact, but the batted ball results weren't necessarily the best. We saw an uptick in that this year though. And as the walks rose, also the quality of contact rose. Now we're not talking, you know, you're not going to pull up his savant leaderboard and see nothing but red. He's not that kind of hitter, but when so those those sliders are also a little bit misleading because when you make contact so often those per batted ball metrics can be misleading thank you alexander chase that uh he's he's very big into that one of our pitcherless colleagues um so yeah he, like good things do happen when he hits the bat and that can get buried by that those uh you know middling to blue numbers on those savant sliders I think there was I think there were some legitimate plate discipline gains here, and I, that's that's generally what I'm looking for in a player is like do they have a good approach? Are they seeing the ball well? do they make good things happen when they hit the ball and i I think I see that with Miguel Rojas. plus when you make contact a lot and you have a good walk rate and you're at the top of the lineup, your run potential goes through the roof and it's a solid lineup in Miami
1: yeah some decent folks around him honestly, I think that yeah, that's a really good pick too. I mean Uh, there, I feel like there were more good. I mean, this is just standard because second base is always known as being a less deep position, but I feel like there were much better options to go with at shortstop here to talk about even our, in our honorable mentions than there were at second base. Second base was much thinner to pick from. Yeah. Remember third base? Third base was awful. I believe, uh, to quote one Christopher Weber, uh, it sucked butt. If if Nick Pollock asks you about that, I didn't say that. I, w- I will take the credit for that one this time. I w- I mean, I also said MILFs at the beginning of the episode, so I'm probably going to take some heat for that one anyways. Wait, is that bad? Uh, fine. As it's long fine. as you're it's not fine. a pervert.
2: <laughs> and that would have, none of our listeners would think bad things of that, right? All of our listeners are
1: pure of heart and absolute angels. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> pure of heart and mind and fantasy experts, all of you. To be a complete weeb. Not okay, that not a weeb. Uh but if any of them tried to sit on the flying nimbus, they wouldn't fall through it. That's such a that's such a but, specific reference. I'm so sorry. And that's that's like
2: that is very early on in the run where like anybody who was watching like DBZ isn't even gonna get no, that. That's
1: that, that's that's just DB, baby. <laughs> that's just a DB reference. All right. We have two more honorable mentions to get through. We really need to keep going. Tangents, Schwebs, we gotta be better about this. Actually, not. Never change. Next week, we'll talk about D&D. Oh, please. Don't. (laughs) Honestly, you don't want to do that. Don't unleash that beast. Okay, second one, Schwebs. You also wrote up this one, so I'll let you take it. All right, J.P.
2: Crawford. Actually, a kind of similar profile to Miguel Rojas. Just maybe take away a little bit of power, add a little speed. So a lot of the same things I just said, where it was a pretty strong walk rate, strong contact numbers. But J.P. Crawford has the added bonus of both having great prospect pedigree. He's a former, I I think he was like really up there. I think it was a former top 10 prospect, wasn't he with Philly, but it doesn't matter. Prospect pedigree and also fantastic defense. And this is another trend I'm seeing with my analysis. I like guys in fantasy who are great at defense, which might seem counterintuitive, but when you're talking deep league players, great defense can get you in the lineup and being in the lineup gets you stats. Hey, we like stats. Full circle, baby. Full circle. And JP Crawford can steal some bags, which everyone likes.
1: Always something you want to look for late in drafts. Cause there's a lot of times if you're like me, especially you're like, Oh damn, I forgot to draft steals.
2: Whoopsies. That's his best quality. That's actually his best quality. And I just completely buried the lead. Don't mind me.
1: (laughs) No, it's okay. Uh, Again, uh, I, don't, I don't even know where he's going exactly in drafts because J.P. Crawford honestly wasn't even on my radar for this. But, I mean, another good choice here. Lastly, for honorable mentions here at shortstop, Elvis Andrus got traded to the Oakland A's and is probably going to be their starting everyday shortstop, I would assume. And what's great about that is that he's getting taken super-duper late and he's also a really, really good steals upside guy. The only downside to that is that last year, he only attempted four steals, although he did succeed three of those times in 29 total games in 2020. And that's mostly due to the fact that he had lower back issues on two separate occasions last year that took him out and put him on the IL twice. So it's something to monitor. I feel like as we get closer to the season, his ADP is going to keep creeping up because people are going to realize that they might be able to get some nice value here. Yeah, I don't know. Not much else to say about him. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't long ago at all, it was literally
2: just 2019, when Elvis Andrews had like a stellar fantasy baseball season when he stole 31 bases, 12 home runs, 81 runs, 72 RBIs with a 275 batting average. He's not going to return to that, not with the way the ball is and in that cavernous stadium. But I see no reason why he can't get back to a batting average and steals contributor. Like, yeah, it was a bad year. It was also only 111 plate appearances and it was an injury ravaged season. Like, you know, he's not old. Like we were talking about this earlier, like just because he's been around forever since 2009 doesn't mean he's old. He's only 32. You know, he very easily could have good years left. It's kind
1: of a dinosaur. You're just saying that because I'm older than that. Wait, are you really? I feel bad. I feel bad now. I didn't mean it. (laughs) Schwebs, 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 you forgive me. Uh, no, see,
2: I, I, have a very, I have very different opinions of Elvis Andrews and myself. Like, I don't have any good years left. I
1: think Elvis Andrews <laughs> could have some good years left. I'm done. This is it. We're past the prime over here. Schwebs, you're aging like a fine wine, as is Elvis Andrus, I hope, in fantasy terms and in real life terms. I do just wish Elvis Andrews the best in general. That sounded really bad. Um, I, on the other hand, feel like I am aging like a fine milk. <laughs> i like a fine chris davis but you know what some people really like cottage cheese okay <laughs> <laughs> anyways okay that's probably going to be the end of our episode this week what a great finish to that one we really ended that one on a nice <laughs> what what is the i feel like we let's should, think about mortality guys we fell on our face there should be like a wilhelm scream there like we just fell off a cliff at the end but that's fine anyways that'll be it for us this week thank you once again for joining us on another episode of in the deep if you liked what you heard here today please follow us on twitter on our shared account which is in the deep pl or individually at Shwebzi. that's that's s-h-w-e-b-s-i for chris and then myself at bunt singles also feel free to follow us or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform shwebzy send them out bye friends